Yes, a confusing world with many keen to mislead us. Some, like me, stick to the curated sources which take pains to get things right, such as The Economist magazine, Scientific American, Cosmos from Australia, which actually won a gold cavalry for journalism at the AAAS meeting last week, and good old New Scientist, whose publisher was in Denver. I first came across New Scientist in 1956. It was black and white and it was in a classroom at school. We had no idea it was going to grow and sustain so much. Tiffany, you're the publisher in the United States. How long have you had a New Scientist office here? New Scientist has had journalists in the US for many years now, but it was often just one or two journalists at a small office. I think in the past we actually had people in Washington DC, in Boston, and San Francisco, but seldom at the same time, and usually, as I say, just one or two journalists. Coming up on two years ago, we decided to really expand into the US in a meaningful way, starting with a sizable editorial team. And so we now have 13 journalists in the US, one based in Chicago and the rest based out of our new bureau in New York City. Is it the magazine or do you have the events such as in Britain with public events? We're actually sitting in a, a huge hall, which the AAAS has its plenary sessions in. Strangely enough, there's a drone flying around. I don't know whether it's looking at us, but uh, you have huge events in Britain which have taken over from the British equivalent of the AAAS, the BA. I don't know if it's fair to say that they've taken over for it, but certainly New Scientist Live is quite something. It's really a fantastic festival of science, and we have a schools day too where children from schools across the UK come and get to learn firsthand about you know, what a career in science looks like, how much fun and exhilarating they can derive from that. And ultimately, yeah, could we do that in the US too? I would love to. Right now, we are experimenting with some events in the US as well. We've done a few digital events during US hours. In the past, most of our digital events have been during UK hours, so that's a first step. And then this spring, or actually in June, we're going to have a day-long instant expert event on consciousness and that will be six different speakers and it will be in New York. So we're starting to have some events over here in the US as well, but as yet nothing on the scale of New Scientist Live, maybe someday yeah. soon. Be good, of course we've been in Australia for many, many years, but not with an office so much as a number of reporters. And so there's a certain presence in the magazine of Australian stories. And are you going to be in touch with the Australians at all? We are in touch with the reporters who write for us from Australia as a matter of routine, um, day in, day out. Alice Klein, our reporter there, has just gone on maternity leave, and we've got cover for her, and he's already off and running and doing a great job and is working with our editorial team, as I say, day in, day out. We obviously would love to grow our readership in Australia as well, so who knows, now that we're expanding our editorial team in the US, maybe Australia will be next. That'll be fun. Have you any feeling, as an editor, how the public interest has changed, not so much with subjects, because most of the predictable subjects are still interesting, your health, space, you name it, AI is everywhere, <laughs> but the ways in which young people's focus and readers' focus is changing or not. When you put mainly at the end of the magazine, say two or three page articles, they're popular, the ones that are really digging into a subject? 
So I think you're referring to what we refer to as, as our features. So they're longer, more in-depth pieces, and our news coverage tends to be a little bit shorter, and, you know, off the back of a particular new bit of research that's come out. In terms of what connects well with readers, I think both do in different ways. We're a subscription magazine, and we see that features, in so much as we can make sense of the data on our end, often drive people to pay to subscribe. But I think it's the whole package of what we offer that really makes people stick around and we have found you know again speaking of my experience here in the US that once people sample new scientists and take out a subscription to try us on for size they do tend to stick around because of that breadth of what we offer. Of course you know that one of my favorite writers you met him in my presence is Mark Abrahams who is famous for Ig Nobel Prizes and he doesn't do jokey stuff so much on the back page but he manages to fill it with some really intriguing material and that's been going for something like a year now, hasn't it? Yeah, we've long covered the Ig Nobel Prizes that he presides over and so on, but he actually writing that for us, that's been relatively recent, the last couple of years, and it's been great. He brings a real sense of personality and humor to that that I think is a perfect fit for New Scientist. I remember way back when there was controversy there on the front page of New Scientist, and this is years ago, there was a famous guy, actually Israeli in origins, but based in Britain as well, who was a spoon bender, who could do all sorts of stuff like that. And this was possibly an experiment too far for the magazine because there was a hell of a kickback. <laughs> and people still remember. I think that predates me, so I'm not sure about the incident that you're talking about. But yeah, I mean, we definitely cover innovative new ideas, things that are just emerging as possible explanations for some of the biggest puzzles of human existence and our understanding of the cosmos. So sometimes that means that you're in more experimental territory. But I think we always go back to rigorous reporting and we'll contextualize that and say that's exactly what it is, that this is a possibly bonkers out there idea, but maybe one worth considering. Good luck and thank you very much. Thank you. Tiffany O'Callaghan there at the AAAS in Denver, former editor of New Scientist in New York, now US publisher. And the spoon bender I mentioned just then was, of course, Uri Geller. And at the time I remarked that if he could bend cutlery so impressively, why not instead bend the guns and drones killing so many in Middle Eastern wars? And now, decades later, the wars still go on and on.